we're really going to see who we were before Christ and who we are or can be with Christ. And I've titled this message, With or Without You. With or Without You. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'll read it to you. We're going to look at these first 10 verses together. This is one of the best portions of Scripture of all time. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, like this is it. This is the gospel. This is everything we need to know. If you're wearing the black factory shirt, one of these verses is printed on the back. Like this is it. And it really gives for us a, a huge, like ridiculous principles about Jesus in 10 short verses. It talks about who we were, who we are, and what we can do with Christ. Like breaks it down so simple. This is what life is like without Christ. This is what life is like with Christ. And this is what you can do, what you can accomplish in relationship with him. All right, enough from me. Ephesians 2 verse 1. And it says, you, he, that's God, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, somebody say, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He says that in the, uh, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray together one more time, and then we'll talk about it. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now through it. Lord, anything that might be confusing or distracting, God, you would remove those things. Help us to see you very clearly tonight. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the space that we can gather. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody um, ever seen an old photo of yourself and asked the question, like, what in the world was I thinking? You ever seen that? Um, maybe you guys have noticed, like, the huge trend right now on social media is, like, the 10-year challenge. You guys seen this? And it's, like, basically people are saying, this is what I looked like 10 years ago. And for most of us, it's like, oh, Gosh, like kind of the, the nice thing. Well, for most of you guys, you guys go back 10 years ago. You're like five. And so it's like, I mean, it, you're adorable. And then it's like, now look at me. I'm at the point right now where like you like go back 10 years and 10 years ago, I was 16, which I know, don't judge me. Um, I was 16, 10 years ago. And so I was kind of like a punk and a knucklehead. And like the photos of me 10 years ago, like when you go back, like I have kind of like a snarl on my face. You're like, what is wrong with this kid? Like. <laughs> Like, what, what, why were you so mad? Like, what's going on? Um, but I'm at the point, like, right now in my life where I think 10 years from now, I'm going to look back. Like, if we, let's say that comes back and there's another 10-year challenge. Like, I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to be like, oh, man, it's gone downhill quick. 
You know what I mean? Like all my friends right now, they're like thro- they're thrown back, and it's like it's kind of like they glowed up. You know what I mean? Like it's like ten years have passed, and like all of my friends are like, oh, you look so much better than you did in high school. Like the acne's gone. Like life is so much better. I think 10 years from now, when we do the 10-year challenge, we're going to be like, oh, man, things have gone downhill quick. <laughs> That's just a little bit of free information. The reason, I, the reason I bring that up is because it's this idea of, like, this is what I look like, and this is where I am today. Like, this is what's changed. I, I've changed here. I've lost weight, or I've gained weight. I've like, my hair's different, or I used to have hair, whatever it might be, like, we, like, throw it back, like, the 10-year challenge. This is who I was, and this is who I am now, and that is what Paul is doing. He's not doing the 10-year challenge, but he's saying this is the pre-Christ challenge. This is what you looked like before Christ, and then this is what life is like with Christ, and he's breaking it down for us, and he really shows us two very simple things, and these are going to be our working points for tonight. He shows us life without God, and he shows us life with God. He says, this is how we can break it down. This is life. This is who you are or who you were without God, and this is life or what can be with God. So let's talk about these things. And I think as we break these things down, I want us to sort of look at our life and see which one more directly describes us. As we break down, this is life without God, and and Paul gives us some characteristics of what that means. And then he says, this is life with God, and he gives us some characteristics of what that means. I want you guys to sort of, in your mind, make a checklist and be like, which one more, more appropriately describes my life? Is it the life of somebody with God, or is it the life of somebody without God? And I pray, hopefully, by the end, you say, yeah, the the life with God more describes me. And if it doesn't, maybe by the end you'll say, that is what I want my life to be described as. All right, so first we're going to break down life without God. The first thing he tells us is that we were dead. That's uh, That's a pretty radical place to start, isn't it? For most of us, if we're honest, and if we think about life, we did not start dead, correct? Most of us started when we, well, I mean, don't have to get into all the craziness, but most of us, we can go back to our birthday, like this is where our life really started. You know what I mean? Like this is where, I I didn't, you didn't wake up, you weren't in a coffin, you didn't scratch your way out, undig yourself and be like, okay, here's life. Right? None of us can go back to that. Life began not with death, but with life. That's kind of the thing. And Paul says, you were once dead. And the idea of of dead here is really desensitized to God or unaware of God. And really it carries the idea of not only just being unaware of God, but incapable of knowing God. That this idea of dead, when he says you were dead, God who, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, you were incapable of knowing God and living the fullness of the life that God had for you. Really having no awareness or thought towards God. And I think if we sort of give a, a scan of our world or our culture, maybe just your classroom, and you ask people, most people, they're not really like, angry at God or or like just this radical against God. For most people, they just don't really think about God. You know what I mean? 
Like, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to school. Yeah, I've got my plans for the future. I've got this job. I've got this boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm doing my thing. And for most people, God's just, just not really a thought. Just kind of going through our motions. Just going through life. Just unaware of God. And he says, that's where we were. That's where you start. Unaware of God. Not really thinking about God. Your, your life isn't concerned with the things and the plans of God. Before Christ, you never really think about, huh, is this going to make God happy if I do this? You know what I mean? Like people don't really ask that question. If you've placed faith in Jesus, you find yourself kind of thinking like that. Like, man, if I do this, is, is this going to glorify God? Is this going to make Jesus known in my life and through my life? Is this going to be a good representation of God in my school or at my work? And, and those are some of the questions that we ask. But pre-Christ, we're, eh, who cares? We're kind of unaware. And that's what he says. He says you were dead. You were unaware of God. You could not know God. He says, and the result of that, the reason for that was because of your trespasses and your sins. The second thing he tells us, not only were you dead, but the idea, you can write this down, was following cultural trends. He says, first he says, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You were unaware of God. You weren't really concerned with God. And then he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the course of this world. Going sort of in the same direction as the world. It's as if the, the, all of humanity is going in a certain direction, and there you are walking in that same direction. Just kind of, this is just going with the flow. This is, if, if, this, if these people are doing it, that's what you'll, what you'll catch me doing. If this is, I mean, going back to the 10-year challenge, that's how, like, all of these things start, right? Like, a few people, like the egg, remember the egg? That was amazing. Anybody like the egg before? That, anybody not know what I'm talking about, the egg? It doesn't matter. I'm not going to spend my time with the microphone talking about the egg. But it's like, for most things, like, it's kind of like there's like a buzz about it, and then it's like, whoa, this is cool. I'm going to either get into it before everybody thinks it's cool, or it's like everybody's doing it, and so I'm like jumping on board with something. And a lot of life is we just sort of follow cultural trends. Like, this is what I'm supposed to say. This is what I'm supposed to listen to. This is how I should dress. This should be my ambitions. This is my thought about this subject or that subject or, or, or these groups of people. And this is what culture says. And because culture says it or because the masses say it, that's kind of how I think too. And Paul says, before Christ, he says the exact wording is, you were following, you walked according to the course of this world. And the world that he uses here, it's, don't think of like planet Earth, like don't think of the ocean and trees. When he says the world, he's talking about people, and specifically people organizing and arranging themselves against or without God. It's just, it's going away from the things, the plans, the purposes, the direction of God. This is the course of this world. And because there's a course that is this world, that's what really makes walking with Jesus difficult. Because, I mean, it's, it's difficult to go against what everybody else is doing. Uh, in the book of 1 Peter, he kind of says it like this, 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, in regard to these he says, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. He says, people in your world, they're going to think it's strange when you're not doing something because everybody else is doing it. They're going to look at you, and he says, not only are they going to think it's strange, they're going to speak evil of you. 
And so much of walking with God is difficult because we know what God wants us to do. There's the course of this world going the complete opposite direction. We're saying, I want to follow after Jesus. It's difficult, one, because not everybody else, not everybody's doing it. And it's difficult because you find as you try to go that way, people think you're weird. And people say things about it. It's a reality. For any of you guys that have made some public stand, whether it's at school or even your home or at a workplace, you find your face with opposition. Like, wait, you're doing what now? Oh, is there like a girl there or something? Like, why are you doing that? Why are you going there? Why are you thinking like that? This is not what, and what you find is there's, there's, this, there's, this pe- there's people that think it's strange that you don't follow the course of this world. Going against God, away from God. This mass of people, Jesus would say, he he said, enter by the narrow gate. He says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And then he says, narrow is the way that leads to life. Now, the, the, the gate is wide enough for anyone and everyone to walk through it. But it's narrow, meaning it's not going to be easy all the time. It's going to be a direction that most people aren't going in, a direction that most people aren't walking in. And Paul says, before Christ, you were just, you were just one of the trend followers. You were just, a, you were just another person liking the egg. You, you were just another person doing the 10-year challenge. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it, you're just, not, I'm, if you like the egg, I like the egg. It was amazing. It was like the most exciting thing of my week. That's besides the point. But... It's just this, it's this flood, it's this trend going away from God, following cultural trends. All right, the third thing, he tells us that we were a slave to our passions. Without Christ, we are dead, we are following cultural trends, and we were a slave to our passions. Specifically, he says, without God, we are controlled by our emotions and our feelings. He, he says there um, in verse 3, he says, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were a slave to our passions. We're controlled completely by our emotions and our feelings. Now, feelings are good until they're bad, right? Like, feelings are great until they're not. Like, because there's this reality where, where feelings, like, yeah, this is, everything's great. Like, life is going awesome. I feel great. I look great. Everything's wonderful. And then, like, what happens? Like, you have a bad dream or, 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 or like, something happens and you wake up feeling totally different. Like, yesterday was great. Today, not so much. Why? Well, because my feelings... Everything is based on on my feelings. I feel this, and so I go there, and and I feel that, so I think like this. And and so much of our life is controlled, dictated even. We become a slave then to our feelings. Where it's like if I feel bad, then life is bad. Or if I feel anxiety, or I feel depressed, or I feel this, and we we are crippled by, we are imprisoned by how we feel. And I'm sure some of you can relate that you are controlled by your feelings. It's a good day because, well, I feel fine. And it's a bad day, well, because I don't feel fine. And so much of our world, so many, especially young people, are not just following their feelings. They are enslaved to their feelings. Where where feelings are everything. If I don't feel it, then I'm not in it. 
And that's why so much of our life is just chaotic because you see people giving up on things. You see people over things or, or doing things as a result of just, just feelings. And, and we don't have to go extensively to talk about how fickle feelings are. Like we know. We experience, I, and I, I said this as a joke a second ago, but I think dreams are like the most, is the best way to show how fickle feelings are. You know what I mean? Because you ever woke up from a dream and you're like so mad at somebody? You're like, I can't believe they would behave like this. And you like see them at school and you're like, unbelievable, man. <laughs> like, what's your deal, bro? And they're like, what, what, what I do? And they're like, oh, Wait, was that a dream? Did you not actually say this? Oh, my bad. You know what I mean? Like, we, we're so, they're, they're just like all over the place. And we are controlled, we are slave to our feelings. All right, so when we're without God, we're dead, we're following cultural trends, we're slave to our passions. And the fourth thing, we miss God's best. We miss out on God's best. Look at what he says there in the second half of verse 3. He says that we were, we were fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And we were by nature, he says, children of wrath just as the others. Children of wrath. Speaking of the wrath of God. Now, that's a big subject that we don't need to get into right now. But this reality, what he's talking about here is that you were unable because you didn't know God, you were unable to receive the best from God because you have, because of your sin, have made yourself an enemy to God. Now, God loves the sinner. God, Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of humanity. But the reality is, is that our sin is what separates us from a holy, just, righteous God. We can't know God. On our own, we are incapable of knowing God. We, we can never work hard enough. We can never go to church enough. We can never pay enough money. We can never be a nice enough person where we could make the wrong right. And as a result of that, he says, you were by nature. This is how you were born. You were, you were the, a child, he says, of wrath. You, you, not only would you receive the wrath of God, but when we look at our life, we deserve the wrath of God. And he says, by nature, you are a children of wrath. You, you could not, you cannot experience the best that God's, God has unless you have relationship with Jesus. It's impossible. God, God will chase you down. God loves you unconditionally, whether you know him or not. But you cannot, you are incapable of receiving God's best apart from Jesus. It's impossible. You could find probably a good life for yourself. You, you might even be happy most days, but you will never, you can never experience the best from God without Jesus. She says, this is life without God. He says, you are, you are dead, unaware of God. Can't know him. You don't think about him. Life is consumed with you. He says, you, you, what was my second thing? I, I'd have to flip the page. Actually, no, I don't. It's right here. You were following cultural trends, since none of you guys were going to help me out. You were dead, right? You were following cultural trends, just doing what everybody else was doing. You were a slave to your emotions, your passions, and you, you were missing out on God's best. Now, pause for just a moment before we get into the second part and think, do any of those or do all of those describe our life? If we think about our life, am I, huh? Do I think about God? Am I aware of God? Are my decisions influenced by God? 
Am I just, am I just caught up in the trends? And am I just doing something because everybody else is doing it? Am I, am I controlled? Am I enslaved by my feelings and my passions and my desires? Am I, am I missing out on God's best? So that's life without God. Secondly, we have life with God. Four things, we'll, we'll break them down really quickly. He says, the first thing, life with God means you are alive. So he says right out the gate, he says, and you he made alive who were dead. And then again in verse 4, um, he says, but God is rich in mercy because of his great love, which with the love is when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he qualifies it. He says, by grace, you have been saved. This idea, again, in contrast to being dead, alive, it speaks of being awake or aware of God. It means now, because of relationship with Jesus, you find yourself thinking about God in your life. You find yourself making decisions influenced by whether or not God is going to be pleased and glorified through it. No longer are you just doing something because you feel like doing it or because everybody else is doing it or because you were just, this is how I think. Now, all of a sudden, your decisions are influenced by God in your life. We call him the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us and, and gifts us and prods us in our life. And he says, ah, maybe you shouldn't go there or maybe you should start doing that. And all of a sudden, you're aware of God. That's life with God. The second thing we can be with God is content with Christ. I love the wording that Paul uses here as he sort of goes on this idea. He speaks of children of wrath, and then he transitions and says, God has made you alive. And then he says, by grace you have been saved. And then he says, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So he says he raised us up. So we were dead. He has raised us up. So we're alive. And then he tells us that we are seated in the heavenly places. I like the idea of seated. You know what I mean? Like seated is a posture not only of being done with something, but for the most part, being pretty content with something. Like seated is a posture of contentment. Let me illustrate this. Usually our routine, Han and I's routine, is when, like, if we get home from church tonight, we'll go home and we'll, we'll make dinner. Primarily she will make dinner. I help every once in a while. Not very good, but I, I like to contribute as best I can. Anyways, she'll make dinner. We'll set up because this is just how we live. Don't judge us. We turn on Netflix, currently Hulu, because um, that's what we're doing now. So Hulu, and uh, we sit down. We got our TV trays. We sit on the couch, and we are about to eat our meal and wash it. And we don't start our meal until everything's ready. You know what I mean? Like the commercial played, all like our LaCroix's there, Tabasco's there. Like she uses sriracha. I got the Tabasco. She's got sriracha. We're sitting there. Like life is good. And then what happens all the time is Hannah will, right before she sits down, she'll like go and she'll like close the door to the guest room. She'll turn off the lights in the kitchen. She'll like straighten up some random things. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, she's like, well, I'm not ready yet. Like, there's things that just everything has to be perfect because if she sits down and she notices out of the corner of the eye that the guest room, the guest room door is open, she, she's not content. She's like, I can't, I can't watch this. She close the door. All right, we can watch the show now. There's this, there's this idea of, like, when you're seated, everything, you're content. You know what I'm saying? Does it make sense? It's like, yeah, okay, I'm seated now. This is good. I can breathe. I can sort of kick my shoes off. I can dive into whatever show we're watching, and life is, is good. We're content. 
And he says, God is going to seat you in the heavenly places. There is contentment found in Christ. There's no more, there's no more striving. There's no more straightening things out. There's no more fixing things or, or, or trying to work stuff out. There's no more anxieties or stresses or feeling overwhelmed. There's this reality that in Jesus, life with God means you can find contentment where you can exhale and say, okay, this is what I'm made for. This is what it's about. He says, he says he's made you alive, but then he's also seated you in the heavenly places. And then he goes on, not only that, are you, can you be content, but you are a recipient of God's kindness. Listen to that next verse. This is as poetic and as amazing as it gets. He says, he's raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. In Christ Jesus. He says, in Christ, not only are you alive, aware of God, not only can you be content in Christ, but he says, God is going to, for the ages to come, he is going to lavish us with his grace and his kindness. That we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the kindness of God, of the goodness of God of the grace of God, where by nature, he says, we are and should be children of wrath. But because of faith in Jesus Christ, now you get to receive the, the incredible, overwhelming, ridiculous, unfair grace and kindness of Jesus. That you can actually be a recipient of the kindness of God, the best from God. Where without God, you, you can't receive his best. We can't receive all that God has for us, but that means now in Christ, we can receive his best. Now, that doesn't mean it's always easy or, or, or that doesn't mean it always seems like the best. But when you're living with God, it allows you not only to receive his best, but his blessing. Because I think what we want is to be blessed, not just do what we think is best. You know what I mean? There's a difference between having the best and having the blessed. Like sometimes we think like, oh, man, this is the best situation for me. It might feel better. It might be like, oh, well, all the worries are gone. Anxieties are gone because of this situation. But because it's not what God has for you, it's not the blessed situation. And you're missing out on all the actual incredible kindness and goodness that God has for you. We want to strive for blessed, not best. <laughs> Does that make sense? I know it's kind of like a tongue twister. I have to really think about it when I'm saying it. Blessed, not best. All right, we can be a recipient of God's kindness. Final thing, and worship team, you guys can come up here. We can experience full life. Experience full life. Life with God means you get to not only be aware of God or awake to God, not only content in what you have, not just receive God's blessing, but also experience the life God created you for. That's the verse that we ended with, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He says, for, this is why you were created, for good works. I love the, the, the whole sort of contrast of the, these verses because he says, he says, it's, it's by grace you've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
It's not your good doing that got you into the grace of God. He said it was a gift. He says it was not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he says, for we are his workmanship, created us in Christ Jesus for good works. And every time I read that, I'm like, wait, isn't that, you should have like saved that verse for another time because together it almost is confusing. It's not, but it almost is. Like, so is it about works or is it not about works? Am I supposed to work or not? I thought you said, but the idea is it's not, it's not your works that get you saved. But from salvation, when you've received Christ, when you have life with God, now all of a sudden your work, the things that you do, can participate and be in what God has for you. And then you realize when you're doing things for God and with God, you find contentment and purpose and satisfaction in those things because you're not striving for life for yourself. You're striving to be involved in what God has for you. And you can experience full, full life, purpose and satisfaction. Listen, life with God means you're alive, you're aware, you're content in Christ, you're a recipient of God's kindness, and you experience full life. The problem is many Christians don't see it like this, and they don't experience it like this. So often Christians think that Christianity is just about, like, you know, making my life a little bit better. Like, you know, I, I struggled with this, and I heard that, you know, Jesus can help me with that. And so I'm hoping Jesus can be like a little bit of flavor in my life that just makes my life, you know, it was good. I want to go from, from good to great. Like, I want to go from, like, okay to good. Or, like, I want to go from, like, better to best. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of times Christianity is thought like that. That is not the text at all. The text here is that you are dead, and now you can be alive. The text is not just, okay, life with God, is without God, it's like, yeah, it's pretty good. You'll hang in there. And life with God, it's like a little bit better. Like, you know, you've got like some supernatural help there for like your homework assignments and whatnot. No, no, no. He says you were dead and now with Christ, you're alive. Completely unaware, incapable of experiencing God, incapable of making decisions for yourself, incapable of experiencing the fullness that God designed you for without God. And then he says life with God means you get to experience all of God, all of his goodness, and all of the life that he had for you. And I think for us, we want to pause and we just want to examine our life. What is my life? Does my life look more like the person without God or with God? And if I'm saying that it's the life with God, am I grabbing on to that to the fullest? Or am I just viewing Christianity sort of as like a crutch? It'll help me get through the hard times. That's pretty good sometimes. It's, you know, it's kind of cool. It's trending right now, whatever. Or are we looking at it? Are we looking at something? I was dead, incapable of knowing God, incapable of experiencing life, incapable of doing the things that God had for me, the life I was destined, created for. We are his workmanship. Another translation says we are his, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you'll experience all that you're looking for, all that you're longing for, and maybe some of you aren't longing for it right now, but without God you will long for it. All the things we've longed for can be found in Christ Jesus. You got life with God. You got life without God. And I pray our thought as we close 
is to examine our life and say, which one describes me? Where am I at right now? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you, and then the worship team will come.